0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. We'll be sharing several different passages of scripture, so I don't have a central passage for you to turn to, but if you'd like, I'm going to be uh, sharing some passages out of Luke chapter 2 and John chapter 2, and then Titus chapter 2. Uh, you can follow along as I preach. Uh, talking about Mother's Day, There's so many times that uh, we, we focused on the passage we dealt with in our uh, uh, scripture earlier about the virtuous woman and I've always wondered, is that really a woman? Is that really a a real person? And I always struggle with thinking that that's an actual person, they're so perfect. But you know, if you live a surrendered life to the Lord, you can do anything. I've preached on Moses' mother. I've preached on quite a few other mothers, uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother. Today, I'm gonna begin by focusing on Jesus' mother. We'll be looking first at uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I've always looked at Mary and said, you know, she's this superwoman You know, God chose her out of all of human history to be the mother, the earthly mother of the Son of God. You go, how in the world could a woman fulfill that role? But if you really look at it, she was just a mother. She dealt with so many things that were very similar to what others' mothers deal with. Yes, she had found favor with God and had been chosen. Uh, God chose her to, for this special purpose, to be the mother of the Christ child. Yet we know really very little about her life as Jesus was growing up. We basically hear the, uh, the, the story of uh, Jesus' birth and a little bit around that time. We also see when Jesus turned 12 that she and her husband Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem. Uh, and... <laughs> they leave them behind, I don't know if that's a good mother or not, but you look and you see that this is just a mother. This is a woman who is fulfilling a God-given call just like any other mother. And we look, we know that in uh, the earlier days of his birth, uh, Herod had sent out a decree that uh, any child, male child, three years or younger in that region would be executed, so God led them into Egypt. And so, to save basically his life, after Herod died, they relocated to Nazareth, and that's where Jesus grew up. And other than that one little story about going to Jerusalem when he was 12 years old, we really don't have a lot of history about what took place in Jesus' informative years, those childhood years. But knowing that uh, his life is always threatened, you wonder if Mary was always look, looking into the shadows, wonder if there's somebody hiding ready to, to take her son away. And then we really see Mary in her fullness when Jesus enters into his ministry when he's 30 years old. But we look and going back to what I just read in Luke chapter two, verses 34 and 35. Not many mothers have a prophet to pray over their child when they're born. But Jesus was prophesied over. Mary was there with her husband Joseph, and Simeon said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Jerusalem and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that uh, thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. We look at Mary, and here's this newborn baby that she's holding. And Simeon just kind of takes... Jesus out of her hands, and I believe he probably holds him up to the Lord and begins to pray and prophesy. Can you imagine what was going through Mary's heart as as she heard these words? That her little bitty baby was going to be a defining line. That the Jewish people would either accept him or reject him. It says that uh, he is appointed to be the rise and the fall of many in Israel. That this little baby would somehow be a divisive tool in mankind. There would be some of the Jewish people who would accept him as their Messiah and rejoice over that. Then there would be others who would reject him and desire for him to be executed. Not only uh, would he be the divider, but he would be a sign of those who opposed him. Now Jesus, we all know, The hatred towards him brought him to the cross, and he was executed. They thought that they were getting rid of a problem. What they were doing is fulfilling history from all of eternity past. But the opposition was there, and Mary was there. By the time that Jesus uh, entered into his ministry at the age of 30, we, we see no more evidence of Joseph. We assume that he passed away before then. But we see a lot of Mary. Mary was with Jesus pretty much every step of his ministry. And she saw him being mistreated, hated, scorned. Think of it as a mother. The the, The trials of watching your son, your child, go through the agonies of others not liking them. You know, Jesus was perfect. He could have done anything he wanted to to defend himself, but yet he was humble. He lived a life that showed us how we ought to live. How many times do you think Mary wanted just to get him out of the way and take over and defend him? Like most mothers would. Yet she knew what her place was. She knew that God had a specific place for her. But notice one other thing that Simeon said in verse 35. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. Now we know from the history that as Jesus died on the cross, there's a question, is he really dead? And basically, a Roman soldier took a spear, thrust it up under his rib, passing through his lung, into his heart, to make sure he was dead. Now that's not what Simeon was talking about, but he was relaying something that would physically happen to Jesus to what would emotionally happen to Mary. A A sword will pierce your own soul. What despair do you think Mary had that day? To have watched this little baby grow up into a little toddler I don't know if they even called them teenagers back then, into a young adult, and then enter into this unique ministry. And she followed him every step of the way. Only three, three and a half years later, to watch him die on a cross. It's impossible for us to imagine being that mother that day. Yes, that sword, that spear, was thrust into her own heart as well. But you know, Let's look at how Mary relates to a normal mother. Every mother watches their child, their children, go through struggles in life. Matthew and Kira have a relative who has, I think about five different kids, and one of them's getting severely bullied at school. And it's so difficult for this mom and dad to deal with, you know, trying to protect their son, trying to help him to overcome this sense of, you know, unworthiness because of being bullied. That's a modern day problem. I don't know if it happened in Jesus' day or night. But the struggles when a child ends up with a disease. The struggles when a child has struggles with understanding who they are, being able to feel self-worth. There's so much childhood depression in our world today. Mothers are struggling to know how to help, how to love, how to encourage. So we see that Mary was very similar to any modern-day mother. She struggled with the struggles of her son Jesus. Everything that happened to him, she felt just like you as a mother have felt every struggle your child has ever felt. But a godly mother is always there to provide prayer, encouragement, love. You know, not only do mothers deal with the struggles their children experience, but they must also command respect. That brings us to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Familiar passage, you don't have to turn there unless you'd like to. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day there was a wedding in Canaan the Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Then his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of the signs or miracles Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now Jesus has just become, uh, begun his earthly ministry. This is the first miracle or sign that, that he performs. And if you read the scriptures, it's at the prompting of his mother Mary. Mary realizes that a social faux pas has just taken place that during this week long feast and festival of this marriage that the host has ran out of wine. Something that would be talked about and laughed about for years to come. Now she understands they're not gonna be able to go to the market and pick up a couple cases of wine or whatever their need is. But she had a source at hand who could do anything. And she believed that Jesus had the power and the ability to minister to this family in their time of need. And so she simply says to Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus says, well, sounds like a personal problem, doesn't it? But she says, I'm going to just tell everybody go ahead and get ready for what's about to take place. So I know you're going to be obedient. And you're going to minister to the need. So she tells the servants to get the, to do whatever Jesus asked them to do. And out of respect, because his mother showed him that there's a true need here, Jesus performed this miracle of turning the water into wine. Now, obviously, Jesus respected his mother. It's kind of hard for us to come to grips that God the Son had to respect someone. But he did, he respected Mary, his mother. When she showed him that there was this need, he knew that she expected him to respect her and to minister to this need. That's exactly what he did. There are times when mothers need to prompt their children to do what is right. I think as especially as young kids, you know, younger kids, we kind of are blinded to needs around us and we don't even think about anybody but ourselves because that's kind of our world. We live around what we want and making sure that what we want takes place. But as we grow up, a godly mother is going to show us that it's not all about us. That there's a world around us that has many needs, and God placed us here to help meet needs. So A godly mother needs to command respect, to teach their children to obey, to see that whatever the mother is trying to guide them to do is right. Now, let's just be honest, there are some mothers that don't always teach their children what is right. So we're talking about godly mothers here. Godly mothers who have this innate sense of what God is showing them as a need for ministry. I believe women, as a general rule, have a greater ability to sense needs than men. So the godly mother, I believe, is the one who is more spiritually sensitive and has that place in life to guide her children to know what is right and wrong and how to do what is right. Therefore, we see that God is using mothers to raise children to be godly, to see the need, to understand that when there's a need there, that there's an expectation to minister to the best of your ability to help meet that need. So there again, Jesus' mother Mary, very similar to the mothers in this room today, our godly mother, striving to be spiritually sensitive to what's around and expecting their children to be respectful, to do what they're leading them to do without question knowing that God, the Spirit, is guiding them. Well, we now look over in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. It deals with older women and younger women. I'm just going to go ahead and use older mothers and younger mothers. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will will not be dishonored. So we look and we see this kind of transition from Mary to, to all other mothers. And it begins talking about the older mothers. Uh, in our congregation on a general basis, the large majority of the women here are older mothers. Uh, they, they have their own grown children, and even their children sometimes have grown children. And so, what's the, what's the purpose here? What, what is Paul telling Titus? He's saying that the m- mature mothers, the mature women, need to set a ro- as, be role models for the rest. They need to show what it's like to be a wife and a mother. And so he gives them uh, several things that they need to be mindful of. The first thing is to be reverent in their behavior. That simply means to live a God-centered life, surrender to the Lordship of Christ, obedient to the Lord in all things, to be reverent in their behavior. Now this, this isn't talking about having a holier-than-thou attitude and looking at other people saying, yeah, I'm, I'm more spiritual than you are. It's not what it's talking about. It's simply living, surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and allowing whatever God is leading you to do to be the guiding force of your life. Then it says, and not malicious gossips. Now, in our world today, and I guess through history past. Gossiping has been probably the weakest area among all Christians. Why? I think we're so self-conscious about who we are that we always want to try to make ourselves look better than the people around us, which is ungodly. And so if we see any little flaw in another person's life, we like to kind of elevate that flaw and make them look bad so we think that it makes us look better. That's the only Logical explanation for gossip. But basically, God is telling, do not be malicious gossip. In other words, refrain from speaking evil or ill will towards anyone else. Now, here's how Christians have tried to get around gossip. Well, we need to pray for so-and-so because. Well, what? Oh, you don't know? folks, gossip happens in Christian prayer circles as well. We need to be very careful about it. So not malicious gossips. Not enslaved to wine. One of the most horrific things that happens in families is for a mother or father or any, ma- any person in the family to be addicted to drugs and alcohol and for that scourge to carry through the family. Uh, I've I've known of people that had to hold their mother's head out of the toilet as they threw up after being so drunk they couldn't stand. Do you know how that affects a family, affects a child? Don't let anything be in control of your life other than God. No drugs, no alcohol. Don't be a slave to anything. And then teaching what is good. A mother is probably the greatest caregiver in the family as a general rule. She probably spends more time with the child than the father does as a general rule. Most of the teaching that is done inside the household primarily comes through the mother as a general rule. And the mother needs to be teaching what is good. In other words, every opportunity you have to teach a child, think about what it is that you're teaching them. You're not just teaching them by the words that you say, but by the actions that you do around them. Teach them what is good. Teaching them the word of God, teaching them through your own personal testimony, through your life examples, teach them what is good. Then we look at the younger mothers. Hopefully, prayerfully, these younger women, these younger mothers have had a good godly role model. But even if not, God through Paul, sharing with Titus, gives them also the guidelines to live by. He tells them to love their husbands. How can a woman be a godly mother if she does not show love toward her own husband? Here's what takes place when there's animosity, when there's strife between the husband and wife. Children automatically pick up on it. You can't hide it from them. They're going to know that it's there. And then it puts them in this predicament. If I'm with mom, then I'm choosing her over my dad. If I'm with dad, I'm choosing him over my mom. And that's not fair to a child to put them in that kind of situation. Wives, mothers, love your husbands. Husbands, love your wives, it goes both ways. We need to know that a child needs to feel secure by seeing a loving relationship between his mother and father. Not only love your husbands, but to love their children. You would think that'd be an automatic, wouldn't you? But you know there are Fortunately, too many mothers that don't really love their children. They're resentful for them because they take so much time and energy away from them. They can't do the things they want to do. And so sometimes children are scorned and pushed aside. That should never happen. Love your children. Be the godly mother at any age, whether your children are babies, toddlers, teenagers, adults, older adults, love them. Show them the example of love in everything that you do. Children need to feel loved, especially young children. Why? Because a child who feels love tends to thrive in life. Children who do not feel love tend to struggle in life. And Scripture tells us to be sensible. What does that mean, to be sensible? To me, it means to be rational or reasonable. And here's the way I really look at it. What kind of expectations do you have for your child? What expectations do you have? I've been doing a little bit of premarital counseling, part of what we're going through right now is what expectations do you have going into marriage? Are they realistic or are they not realistic? Well, this holds true in just about every relationship, especially uh, parents with their children. What kind of expectations do you have for your children? Are they reasonable expectations? Are they sensible? Are they achievable? How can you help them achieve these expectations? Are they your expectations only because you're trying to live vicariously through your your child? You want them to do what you were not able to do in life? Or are you seeing the the God-given talents and abilities that your child has and trying to figure out how this child can best function in life? What's the best role for them to To fulfill in life. Be sensible about your children. Be pure. that's, That's a tough one, isn't it? God says, be holy for I am holy. Be pure for I am pure. Sounds impossible, doesn't it? But with God, all things are possible. This is simply talking about living a surrendered life to the Lordship of Christ. Instead of living by your own desires and your own will, live by God and his spirit living in and through you. Even if it wasn't modeled by your own mother, God has modeled it for us through his son. To be workers at home is the next one. In Paul's day, it was most common for the mother, the wife, to work in the home to provide the food and the clothing for their family, which was a full-time job. In today's society, with modern amenities and things like that, many women are working outside the home. But here again, typically speaking, the mother is the main caregiver in the house. She's the one that makes sure that the home is ran properly and children are fed and clothed and that their needs are met. She's the one that picks up on the little struggles that are going on. She's the one that is there to to kiss a boo-boo and to help out wherever needed, to encourage, to pray. So be a worker at home. Fulfill those godly responsibilities. And then to be kind. To be kind is simply allowing the love of Christ to flow through you towards your children, towards your family. To be kind. When we look at that, we say, you know, shouldn't that just be an automatic as a child of God? Unfortunately, it didn't. Why? Because we all go through trying times in our life. We have a rough day, and sometimes we take it out on those who are around us. Sometimes, you know, we're we're dealing with something in our own life, and we're not happy, and so that unhappiness tends to flow in how we treat others in our family. Strive to be kind, loving. Again, letting the Spirit of God flow and the love of Christ flow through you. Subject to their husbands. Now this has been a tough chief subject, but it is the Word of God. The Word of God has an ideal for the home, that the husband is the head of the household. But any godly husband will immediately understand that, that God has created this help meet for him. And this help meet is just as equal in the eyes of God in value as he is. And that if he is any kind of a husband, he will understand that God has given him a wonderful gift that has talents and abilities that he does not have. Otherwise, one of the, the two are not needed. But God is giving the husband, who he's placed over the head as the head of the house, he's given him a helpmeet, a wife, who's to love and nurture the home and to love him, to respect him, but the two have to work hand in hand, glove and glove. We look and see that God has purposed husband and wife to be a perfect match. That the two are equal in God's eyes. They both have talents and abilities that the other does not have. And that together they become a family. So respect, be subject and respect the husband. Then the last part is to... Honor the Word of God. In other words, it it has a kind of negative so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. We need to honor the Word of God in all that you do. Mothers, how much time do you spend in the Word of God? If you're not spending time in the Word of God, you cannot teach it, you cannot model it, you cannot live it out for your children. You need to live in such a way that the Word of God is honored. And so we look and we see that all these things are picture of motherhood. And kind of just wrapping this up, you know, we see and think that Mary had the most difficult job of any mother around, but she really had a typical job as a mother. She saw her son struggle with people not liking him. I'm sure she wanted to intervene every time that this happened. She may have at times. We don't know. But she also made sure that he was being raised in a proper home. Now Jesus was Jewish and she and Joseph made sure that he followed the Jewish customs. On the eighth day, they had him circumcised then they named him and brought him before the rabbi and he was blessed. Then after her days of purification, they entered Jerusalem and they paid the, 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 the offering for his birth. That's when Simeon and Anna prophesied over him. At 12 years old, they're back in Jerusalem again for one of the feasts. They did all the right things. They made sure that their son was being raised in a spiritual atmosphere. For us today, mothers, make sure your child is learning about the Word of God here at church and in the home that they're learning about all the different aspects of what a Christian is all about. You're modeling Christianity in your own life. Everything that Mary was doing, you can do as well. We must provide a nurturing environment for our children. Now, for Susan and I, our child has just turned 35 out of the house He now has a little baby that's a little over a week old. Almost two weeks, two weeks tomorrow. So, our days of exampling, especially now these nine hours away, are not over with, but we don't have nearly the influence we did when he was under our own home. But you know what? We still expect his respect. And he shows it. I think he knows that we'd be in the car and come up there and give him a spanking if he didn't. Cause he's been real good about showing us our little granddaughter uh, through the duo, kind of Zoom type thing. So we've been doing the video chats, being able to see our granddaughter even though we're hundreds of miles away. But Expect them to respect you. Even if they're grown and have their own children, even if they have their own grandchildren. Look at the witness that you're being. Are you living a life, a godly life, for them to model? If not, maybe go back to Titus chapter two and look and see these things that you as a mother need to be a doing. Dads can't let you off the hook. You need to be doing the same thing. You need to be working with your wife Provide this godly model, this godly example for your children. Whether they're in the home or whether they're out on their own, you're still one of the most powerful influences that they'll have in life. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we're so thankful that you've given us so many wonderful models. Lord, we look at Mary and the model that she has set to be the the mother of your son. Jesus Christ. Lord, we cannot even imagine all that she went through as she watched her son being hated and attacked and even crucified. The Lord, for many of her days, she was doing exactly what the mothers in this sanctuary are doing and have done. Providing for the simple basic needs of daily life. Encouraging. Making sure that they're in church. Doing the right things. Demanding respect. Lord, there's so many things that we need to be mindful of. How are we living? Are we living God-centered lives? Are we living surrender to the Lordship of Christ so that it is you living in us and through us so that we are setting a godly example for others? Lord, help us all, mothers, fathers, husbands, wives. Lord, no matter what stage of life we're in. Lord, you've given us a privilege to be an example and influence to others. Lord, guide us and use us in a way that brings honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.